Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. So, I've been feeling like a real shift in the business lately and in cadence. You know, when I started the company, I was going through a real tumultuous time in my life. I was having uh, lots of personal struggles, and I also was having a lot of professional struggles. And I ended up leaving a very bad situation professionally where I really felt like the place where I was at didn't really reflect my values, and it also didn't really let the best version of me exist. And I kind of look back at that time, and it was about just, just over four and a half years ago. I just really wasn't who I wanted to be. You know, and part of it was the environment. And of course, part of it is what I brought to it as well. So when I started Cadence, there was so much kind of like, well, who am I? And who's this, what, what's this business going to be about? Like, what's the personality and the identity of this business? And, you know, of course, part of that was a little bit of a like, I got to prove this. I got to prove it to my old employer, my old boss. I got to prove it to, you know, the world that I've got something of value. But most of all, I had to prove it to myself. There was a period, I guess about three years ago, where I really felt like it was an uphill grind. And now, like, so much time later, it just feels like, I don't know, like I've crested some kind of horizon. And there is a sense of like, yeah, I don't know if I have to prove anything anymore. And it's not just because the business is doing well, but I guess I just feel more settled in my skin and the business feels more settled in its skin. And, and like, we're just doing we're doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing. And it's been a really, really cool feeling. And I've really especially felt it uh, in this year, in, in 2021. And that really takes us into our guest today, Tyler Spangler. Tyler, for me, really personifies having something to prove, but in this very cool way. So he's a freelance artist and designer, and uh, he used to own a DIY venue, which is a totally hilarious story that I, I can't wait to, uh, for all of you to hear. Um, he comes out of California's surf scene and he bounced around art school and retail surf shops while he was working on his craft. He went on this focus of making something new every day and sharing it online. And that's been his ethos. So like, don't be afraid to share it. And if you look at his online presence, he's got a huge amount of posts. Like I think it's over 5,000 and over time, he's really cultivated his audience. So he started this by designing show flyers for bands and venues. And from there, he just grinded his way through the industry. Um, now he's created this huge following and he's worked for brands like Facebook, Coach, Starbucks, Adobe, and many others. But at the same time, he hasn't lost that DIY edge. And that's what makes him so fascinating because there's still that kind of sense of like, you're not quite sure when the bottom's going to drop out. You're not quite sure where that next meal is going to come from. So you got to stay sharp. And what I love about our conversation is, yeah, he is successful, but he's not afraid to hold up a mirror and keep pushing. So before we get into our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step beyond.
everyone, welcome back to the show. And for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. So today we are talking to Tyler Spangler. Uh, I am really psyched on this conversation. So as we are doing a little bit of prep work for it, I was looking at his art and I was like, oh my God, this is so pertinent. <laughs> it's so pertinent to now, especially this one piece where he had uh, talking about it. Like it was a hand with a cell phone. And I was like, oh my God, that's me literally right now. I have my cell phone. So it's cool to be able to have someone on the podcast that really knows what it means to just put themselves out there and like build an audience and kind of like draw people in and not draw people in for like any bad reason, but for a good reason, because what they're doing is super creative, interesting. So it's like starting a conversation that people didn't even realize they wanted to have. So Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So. You know, when I look at your art and, and the story of really how you've built up that audience, it's just like blown my mind because it's truly like a DIY, like do it yourself approach. Yeah, uh, all of it kind of happened. It, it all it all got like sparked almost like after I kind of got into like the punk scene and read Henry Rollins Get in the Van book. Mm -hmm. Like I was in a transition period in my life where uh, I was in college for psychology. Um, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to do that as a career. I knew I liked making art. I knew I liked music, surfing, and I didn't know if those should just be my hobbies on the side and I should make a living like normal people do, doing something normal. Uh -huh. And yeah, so I was like kind of like in a crossroads at that point in my life. And I feel like like the the messages in the music and things I learned from that book made it seem way more accessible for someone in my position to go ahead and like take the leap and just mm -hmm. kind of give it a chance and see what could happen. So how did you, how did you find punk and hardcore? Uh, through surf videos. Uh -huh. I, I grew up listening to like all the normal stuff you like listen to on like K rock. I'm from Orange County. So like K rock was like the I mean, big rock radio stations. So, like, that's where I found, like, Nirvana, you know, like, all those, like, bigger bands and stuff. And then I didn't really know how to, like, research or get into, like, more underground music. So that's kind of, what, like, was my world back in, like, elementary, middle school. And then through surf videos in, like, middle school, I heard, like, The Adolescents, TSOL, and a lot of those bands. And I was like, whoa, like I've never heard music like this before. Like it sounds kind of like Nirvana, but like way like, I don't know, just like way more energy and stuff like that. And so I was like super drawn to it. And that was when Napster was really big, like 2000, mm -hmm. I don't know, what was that like 98 or something, 2000. And um, I would like download all the songs and like make my own CDs. And yeah, <laughs> that was basically when I like started researching and then like the whole blog spot when those were really big i would like people would do like album reviews and find all these like underground band like just local bands that you would never know of otherwise unless you like live there or something and and a lot of bands that way and just kind of like built my collection my digital music collection that way yeah. right on man okay <laughs> so like let's take a, a step all the way back what can you tell me about you know your family and how you grew up um grew up basically beach life like my dad surfed worked in a surf shop most of his life and my mom just they just traveled camped surfed and so I, I was like brought up in that 
in that whole world and like having surf magazine subscriptions like surfer surfing magazines come to my house and seeing like the ads for like Volcom and like all the surf and skate brands back then and wanting to do that like thought I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world just like these crazy graphics like collages and and everything and that was almost like a precursor to like the punk thing too because they were obviously inspired whoever designed those ads were inspired by like the visuals of the punk culture in the 60s or I mean 70s and 80s and I didn't know that at the time because I didn't really know anything about it, but I just knew that I thought it was cool. And then, yeah, so that, and then I started, you know, you go down like research rabbit holes, you're like, oh, so that person was inspired by this person. And then this person took from this person. And it's like this whole like world opens. And so, yeah, that's kind of like how that started. And the surf culture basically introduced me to like the punk scene. So like your parents were in the lifestyle, like they were like, surfing outdoor people camping like being out on the water surf magazines coming in yeah they were all my dad was like growing up he was super into like black sabbath he lived in huntington beach they grew up in huntington beach and their neighbor was actually the drummer black sabbath's mom was like their neighbor at this apartment wow. complex so they would go there and like hang like say hi to the mom and like he would be like oh my gosh he would he was like too very like shy to go up and talk to him but like he just was telling me like how they would come and like visit the mom and like I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And he would go to like all the, yeah, basically all like Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. And so he kind of like introduced me like Stevie Ray Vaughan, like those um, musicians really young. And yeah. I didn't know anything about it, but I just, yeah. <laughs> that is sick. Okay. So you got these parents who are in the lifestyle. They're like cool music. They're like introducing you to surfing, surf magazines, outdoor lifestyle. So how do you end up in college studying psychology? Um, yeah, uh, I was like the first person in my family to go to college and I just, I don't know. I figured that that's just like kind of what you do. Like, I didn't really have an idea. Like I was working at a surf shop through like high school and college and like community college. Like I was doing like the general ed stuff in community college trying to figure out like what I wanted to do. And then I just thought psychology was so cool like learning about like, cause I, I took like an intro to psych classes and elective and I was like fascinated by like all the theories and stuff and like how relevant it was just to like everyday living and how you can like kind of use those ideas to see how people react the way that they do to like certain situations or I thought it was like kind of cool. I just thought from a practical standpoint of like interacting with like people in the world as a whole, I feel like it was a very valuable skill. Yeah. Like my initial idea wasn't like, how am I going to get a job in this? It was like, well, I want to like learn a lot about this because it's like fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then once I was in it, once I like transferred to like university, I was like, okay, now that I'm like doing this, like I might have to like get a job in it. Like reality <laughs> kind of hit me, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, once I started looking at graduate schools, then I realized that that wasn't really the life for me. Did you finish a BA? Yeah, I got my BA in psychology. And then that's kind of like, where I had like a quarter life crisis after that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to get to that in, in a little bit, but let's, let's take a step back. So at what point did you start actually creating art? Very young, actually like elementary school. Mm -hmm. I was like, as I said, I was like super infatuated with surf culture and like the Volcom stone logo. And I, I would draw it, you know, it was just so fun to draw. Like how it's like, you know, it's like inverse colors and stuff so it was really fun to draw and I would draw it like all over my schoolwork and homework and 
in textbooks. I would get in trouble because I would like like graffiti it in the, in the textbooks in the class, and they would always know it was me because I would always do the same thing. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I guess it it started very young, and then I would draw on like my skateboards and like the bottom of my surfboards with paint pens mm-hmm. to try and like copy the surfers that would do their own like spray paint or like paint pens mm-hmm. and uh trying to be trying to be cool like all the pro surfers and then um yeah i also was really into like video games and like simpsons ren and stimpy and stuff during that time and i would always like try and draw and i would like i actually remember sending in i had like this magazine called gamers game pro gamers pro i forget what it was called but it was really big back in like the 90s and I would like send my drawings into them to try and get into their like fan artist like feature on their magazine. They would have like a little section at the end uh-huh. and it, it never happened. But thinking back, I was like, wow, I used to do that back then. <laughs> I like just sort of remembered that now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> That's wild. So would you say like sending that in, was that your first kind of clear attempt to get your art in front of more eyes? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Huh. I was probably in like elementary school, like fourth, fifth grade, maybe. Okay, so this is an interesting thing, man. Like, and again, I, I want to get more into the story as we go along, but like, so much of what you've been able to do is just a willingness to put your stuff out there and create an audience, like build up your own audience. Um, that takes a lot of guts, like that courage to say, like, yeah, actually, I have something of value that I want to share with people. Was it that you were looking at things and being like, oh, this is good, and I think people would like it, or were you just like, oh, I want to share this with people? Like, what got you to do it? Um. I just, I, I don't know. I, I like at the time I was so young, I didn't really know what my motives were. Mm. I mean, maybe my motives were just like, I want to be cool. Like how these pro surfers and these artists are cool. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know like what my mindset was, but thinking back, I think it like now that I reflect on it a little bit, I think it might be like, it gave me so much joy and like it added so much like quote unquote, like color to my life seeing like this amazing art and like I would plaster the the even though they were ads they were like beautiful with all the colors and collages and everything and I would like tile them all over my walls you know and like the effect that that had on me was like humongous and it like brought me so much joy so like if I could somehow get to a point where I can be the person that's creating this like world this like art world for people to bring them joy the way that it brought me joy it's like I don't know. I thought that was like a really cool thing. So it's, it's like wanting to be a part of something without even realizing you want to be a part of something. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's Man. like, when I think back, I think I, I would like to think that that was my motive. I don't know if it was, but like, <laughs> right. but like now in my, in my, in this point in my life, that's my current motive. And that's mm-hmm. been my motive for the past, like seven, eight years since I started to try and do this like professionally. Yeah. Okay. So at what age did punk and hardcore enter your world? A little bit later than most people, actually. I know a lot of people get into it in like middle school, high school, mm-hmm. when their hormones are raging, you know, they just connect with like the, yeah. But uh, I think mine actually um, was in kind of like third year college, actually. So I was like a little bit older. I was like maybe 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was, I think a lot of the classes I was taking in college were kind of like, it was kind of like a perfect perfect storm for like getting interested in like like political like kind of like learning about yourself and how you fit into like society Mm -hmm. and like i don't know i feel like college is like a good place for that so it kind of like 
it, they were they were both like attractive to me at the time and uh yeah so when you were like you know you're coming up you're getting a little bit older junior high high school and then you head into college did you go straight from high school into college uh no i didn't have good enough grades to go straight from high school to university i had to do community college and plus the cost was always an issue mm -hmm. so i went to like a really cool high school i went to huntington beach high school mm -hmm. and they actually had a commercial art class at that high school I didn't, I didn't know what graphic designer commercial art meant, but I, I saw that they were, you were able to screen print and I was like, I want to make my own t-shirts. So like I signed up for that class and that, I actually learned Photoshop and like I graduated high school in 2004. So I learned Photoshop in 2003. I had no idea like how to do it. And I learned in the class and the teacher was super awesome and everyone was like super passionate about making cool shirts. And that kind of like got me like super inspired to like, like revisit that. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't every every other subject in school, I was like not interested in at all. I was just interested in like surfing and video games and like drawing and and on my surfboard. So like history, math, science, not interested at all. Different story now. I I, th I find everything fascinating now. But back then, it was that was what it was. So yeah, I did. I was able to like make collages on, in Photoshop and then transfer them to like the silk screen and then burn it with the light. I don't know the correct terminology. I haven't done it forever, but burn out the light, you know, and then like wash away the emulsion or whatever. And then, you know, do the two, three, four color screen print. And yeah, that was really cool. And <laughs> all right. so this whole time you're doing art, you're coming up junior high, high school, you're doing art, you're taking art classes, get into university or college and then university and you're doing psychology. Were you constantly doing art in the background as you were going to school? Definitely. I remember, I remember being in like, like a sociology class. And I, I'm just like the teacher's lecturing and I'm just like drawing like a little bunny on my like notebook with let's saying like, I don't know, just whatever, you know, like kind of like mimicking like old black flag players where, where like it's just like a like a, a vignette of like someone. They're just like saying something and you, mm -hmm. like just creating like little scenes on my like notebook pages. And and yeah, I remember I remember like saving all of those. I remember saving notes from certain classes because I, they had really cool drawings on them. And actually, I don't know if I still have them, but I saved them for a couple of years at least <laughs> to yeah. kind of like refer back to the drawings because I thought they were like, it was funny that I would do that during, yeah. So beyond what you did in high school, did you ever take any kind of formal art education? Uh, no, not until after I graduated and then after I graduated for psychology and then I decided that I wanted to basically start all over and do art that I, I basically started back at community college at age like 24 and took like two intro to like graphic design, intro to 2d design, like figure drawing, like basically intro to how to learn Photoshop. Cause I like forgot everything from 10 years prior. And so, yeah, I basically started from scratch at age 24. And then it was kind of cool because when I was kind of like all over the place here, but so during this time, I was, I was booking shows and, um, that was like, like after psych, I graduated, I was like booking shows for a little bit and I was doing like the flyers. So I kind of like was doing those all by hand before I like was super proficient in Photoshop mm -hmm. and yeah. So I was just like doing cutting out magazine, like national geographic or like vice magazine pictures and like taping them onto a paper and scanning them on my computer and then like putting text on it in the computer yeah so like um 
I'm real interested in this piece though. So like you, when you're still doing psychology, were you putting your art out in any way or were you just creating art for yourself and your friends and your family? I was just putting it, I was just doing it on my surfboard. I was actually doing it like I was working at a surf shop at the time and a couple of my friends at the surf shop would have me like draw on the bottom of their boards mm-hmm. with like paint pens because they liked what I was doing on my board. So I was like, whoa, like people actually like think this is kind of cool. And it like gave me like a little seed in the back of my head, you know, like, okay, so maybe there's something here like to revisit at some point. And then I was like making my, like, as I was kind of teaching myself Photoshop before I took like the intro class, mm-hmm. I was just making like random collages and stuff on my computer and just kind of saving them. And then I think in like 2010 or 2011, I, I think it's 2010, I started uploading them all to Tumblr mm-hmm. just to have like a, a, like a database of some sort to like, kind of like, you know, sort everything neatly and yeah that's kind of where that started all right so what role did punk and hardcore play in getting you to like actually put art out into the world and to kind of like to to interact with people um i think it's similar to like how i was like what i was doing when i was younger with like wanting to create like a world like the same way that surf culture created like a like an alternate exciting world for me like punk and hardcore did the same thing like in a very similar way so i wanted to kind of it was like basically redoing what i did when i was younger now that i'm like older and i have like more skills and more knowledge and everything so yeah just basically recreating it through like a punk and hardcore lens but with like everything else i've experienced and all my other influences in my life up to that point Mm -hmm. which Um, all right So let's talk about a place of worship. So at some point, you just decide to to open up a warehouse venue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, like, after watching, like, documentaries, like, Decline of Western Civilization, like, one of the first, like, punk documentaries I saw, and reading American Hardcore, and, like, the Get in the Van by Henry Rollins book, and I was like, wow, these people just, like, wanted to do something, and they did it. And they weren't, it's not, they they weren't able to do it because they were like rich or they had like connections. Like they did it because they like wanted to do it and they found a way to do it. Even if it was like the cheapest, crappiest, most accessible way to do it, like it was going to happen. And that mindset, like basically gave me, I guess, permission or like the confidence to try it out at least. Mm -hmm. All right. So tell us about the rise and fall of a place of worship. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So age-old story i was i went to see a band i forget what band it was but then this opening local band opened for him and i was like whoa this band's super rad i never heard of them before and so i started like going to see them more often and they were having trouble getting shows because they weren't over 21 mm-hmm. and yeah you know they pay to play hold the whole story you know so they were having trouble finding shows and uh, I was trying to book them shows. I was like, maybe I can like find you shows. So I was like emailing random venues throughout like Orange and LA County, and most of them would just like ignore or say no. Like, or here you have to sell like three hundred dollars in tickets just to like play or whatever. And it's like, no, okay, no. And then, so I was like, okay, maybe we can do a tour. So like, I booked a tour from Orange County to Portland. We were gonna go to Seattle, but we didn't have enough money, so we went to Portland. And then, a lot of the venues were just like art collectives almost they weren't like 
legit places with sound setups you know <laughs> one yeah. of them was actually a bar in portland and they were like they would like run into play and then like run out after they were done even though they were under 21 <laughs> but yeah it was like so that was really awesome and that kind of when we were like doing that we all drove up there and we were like okay when we get back it's still going to be the same old story like no place to play like even though this tour is super cool so i think it was one of the members of the band was like what if you like rented a warehouse or like rented a place that would be super cool and i was like hmm like <laughs> I have a little bit of money in my savings that I have from my like surf shop because I was still living at home, and um, so yeah, I was like, that's what I'm gonna do, because <laughs> I was like, that was like after I graduated psychology, and I was like, kind of like in that crossroads position. So I was like, maybe I'm just gonna be like a person that books shows. Like I was trying to like think like what my identity was and what where my life was gonna go from there. Like I was like, maybe I'm gonna be the person that books shows and makes album covers and and like runs a venue like I didn't look super long term because like I didn't have like the financial resources to keep a venue running properly for an extended period I just knew that I had enough to get it off the ground and kind of see what happens and so yeah that led to me going on Craigslist and finding some willing sub or some willing leasey leaser to lease me like the venue space and yeah, I rented it out and gave him three months up front because just to like kind of like win him over. Like I was like, okay, I have um, I don't really have like a co-signer. It's like just me. I was like 20, I don't know, 22 or 23. So it was like kind of like sketchy. I was like, yeah, it's for like band practice. And <laughs> um, but yeah, don't worry. I'll give you three months up front. And he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so that happened. And then. And then, yeah, I started booking shows. I already had, like, the word kind of got around that, like, oh, there's going to be a new venue. Like, so a lot of the other, like, local bands are like, oh, sweet. Like, finally, like, a place to play. And so the first couple shows, I remember having, like, four shows back-to-back nights just because, like, everyone was all, like, stoked on it, you know. And so, yeah, I had a lot of shows. And it was really cool. I, I bought, like, a PA from Guitar Center <laughs> for, like, uh, 200 bucks. And then I was, like, doing the sound and even though i had no idea how to do it it would always cut out <laughs> like mid set like i'd run over and be like oh shit like what happened and, and plug that back plug that back in i don't know why this mic's not working and uh so yeah it was cool my my then girlfriend or my girlfriend at the time now my wife she was like helping me like at the front door she was doing that while i was like running around like a headless chicken <laughs> trying yeah. to make sure everything was good um, and yeah. I'm I'm dying here because like, you know, because this for this podcast, we get a mix of people from punk and hardcore. We get like business people. And I always like laugh at this kind of part of the story when it's people from the punk scene, because to you and me, this is like, well, yeah, of course, that's what you do. And very often we get like I get feedback from people be like, wow, all you people are just like I, I always thought shows had to have like promoters and security and da da da. Like, oh, like this is <laughs> yeah, like... the the okay, like there's security's always like been an issue at punk shows. Like there's yeah, always yeah. like a battle of like the audience <laughs> versus security. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna have security. Like everyone's just gonna be cool, right? Like yeah, yeah. I had that like na- kind of like naive mindset, and which which eventually led to people like drinking and breaking bottles outside and like which. In, probably 
increase the time that it would get shut down or like shorten the, the life of the venue, you know? Well, you know what, man? You got to burn bright when you're a punk venue. Burn bright, <laughs> die fast. Okay, so we got we got this place and it was called a place of worship. Eventually gets shut down. But after that, and maybe even along this way, so you're doing flyers for your own shows, you start putting things up on Tumblr and you start building uh, this kind of like catalog of things that you've done. At what point does it start drawing attention from other people? Mm, took a while, actually. Uh, like weeks, months, years? A couple of years. Um, so in that process, so everything got shut down uh, in October or, mm, yeah. Okay, so the venue, the venue opened on Halloween, I believe, or the 21st of October. I know it was like mid-end of October of 2010. It was open for three weeks. Three solid weeks. <laughs> we had 13 shows. Oh and I was still working at the surf shop at this time. So mm. so that shut down. So it's like November 2010. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, that... I kind of like was like, okay, this isn't going to be able to sustain itself. So I was kind of like look, thinking about other ideas. And like I went back to the idea of like, okay, my one of my favorite parts aside from like seeing all these amazing bands and like interacting with the bands which is always super fun was making the flyers for the bands and everything like art related. So that led me to like, okay, maybe I should try and do this like legit and go to like community college and take some classes and actually learn a little bit about like proper graphic design or whatever, uh -huh. which was actually surprisingly like taught me a lot like about it, about like, 2d design like i didn't have like super high hopes but i was like okay i'm just i'm gonna like at least give it like a proper try <laughs> and like go and see what happens and um yeah i was still living at home and so i wasn't like strapped financially mm -hmm. and um so yeah i did community college for a little bit learned a little bit of graphic design and was still posting stuff on tumblr like my own projects from school and stuff like that which i mean didn't really get any traction it was it was almost just like a like I said, like a database for my own progression over time. Mm -hmm. And, and then at, at some point I didn't actually finish like an associate's degree. I went for like one year, I did some figure drawing, you know, like all that type, all the random art classes. And I was like, maybe I should transfer to like art school, like a, like a legit art school. And like, I had this like weird grandiose idea that art school was like a ticket to like art stardom or something yeah. i don't know it was like a it was like a permission slip like a fast track to like working with like amazing companies or something i don't know i ha i don't know i got like sucked in or something i can't really explain it but so i applied to a couple schools i got into art center in pasadena and i went there for graphic design i was still living in orange county because we couldn't afford to move to la like rent an apartment we were still living at home my wife and I, I moved in with my um, girlfriend's family. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I did that. I probably also should have mentioned I, I quit my job at the surf shop for that year. And I, I was like, okay, to prep for like art school, since I'm going to try and do this like super serious, um, I'm going to take a year off and make like five to 10 new pieces every single day. Like I'm going to do three new illustrations, three pictures i'm gonna take three pictures every day and i'm gonna make three like collages or like type some graphic designs like themed pieces every single day for like a whole year and that's kind of like the catalyst for what 
started what I'm kind of still doing, like a stripped down, obviously, version of that. I'm not making 10 pieces a day now, but it's still the same idea of like creating something new every day, which was something. Why was that important for you? Um, basically just took like brute force train myself into that mindset of like mastering something or like honing technique and exploring what I I must've read it somewhere or something because like I, my, I feel like the way that I work is like, I'll like devour information and then one or two things will like latch onto my brain that like kind of I connect with. And then I'll literally put blinders on, get on like a railroad track and just go 200% on that with like, for better or worse, like (laughs) sometimes it's horribly like inefficient or like going the wrong direction, but sometimes it works brilliantly because I I do it without distraction and it's like very, yeah. Yeah. So that's just like my personality. Well, yeah. And like, I mean, what strikes me there is like, it sounds like in life you were just kind of like moving along. Like, you know, you kind of grew up with your family, had this good experience, like, you know, outdoors and doing all that. It sounds like you kind of went to university out of like, yeah, I'm interested in this. It seems like the right thing to do. And then you hit that place where you talked about that quarter life crisis and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? And mm. you did, you know, you did the warehouse thing for three weeks. You know, you're, <laughs> you're just, you're just figuring it out, but suddenly you found the thing. But when you mm-hmm. found the thing, you went all in and you actually created a structure that helped you go all in, in like a very, very disciplined way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I had an uncle or I have an uncle. He's not dead yet that uh, he's like an artist. He's been an artist his whole life and mm-hmm. he's like a painter. And he was like explaining to me like the 10,000 hour rule. I think it is mm-hmm. where like you become proficient at something after spending like 10,000 hours practicing it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it goes, but I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot then. Mm-hmm. So like I kind of so use that as like a framework also. What did that do for you? Like when you went in that hard, what was the result? It was, it was amazing. Like it, it, it sounds crazy from the like but when you're doing it it becomes a part of like your day-to-day routine it's actually just like what you do and I was like thinking like okay people go to jobs every day and like put in seven eight nine ten hours doing these monotonous tasks Mm -hmm. that benefit other that don't benefit what they want out of their life or their vision of the world what they want it to be or whatever so what's the difference between that and then me using those hours to like build like a creative, a creative discipline within myself that I could use for whatever. If I'm going to invest time and energy, why not do it for something that is meaningful for myself, which I can understand is different for everyone because certain people have different responsibilities. But at that time in my life, I was living at home and I didn't have any debt. And my wife's parents were gracious enough to let us stay for mm-hmm. without rent. <laughs> so I was uh, fortunate enough to have that, be in that position to take a year off and just kind of like dive headfirst into this. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people could have that same situation and not do anything they could just float along like it's it's a real interesting thing that you decided to take on this like really intense discipline and it makes sense that get in the van kind of was like a little bit of a um 
a light for you, like help light the path a bit because there's so much discipline involved in the Black Flag story and in the Henry Rollins story. So that makes, that makes sense for me. Okay, so you take on this intense discipline of like honing your craft. At what point do you notice that you're starting to get some attention on the things that you're posting? Um, a lot of it is like, I'd say the ones that affected me the most and gave me like confidence and energy to keep pushing and like jump back into it even harder is like the art that I would make on the bottom of my surfboard and like walking to the beach, like to go surf. And then like someone would walk up to me and be like, dude, that drawing on the bottom of your board is so sick. Like, did you make that? And I'm just like, yeah, I did. And it felt like so good, like claiming, like, you know, like taking ownership of it and like being like, yeah, I made this. I'm like, so stoked that you like it. Like, that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And like that feeling was like, I don't know. It's hard to like replicate that feeling with a lot of other things. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to see if I could basically make a life out of that. <laughs> well, and so you've ended up like through posting your art online, you've cultivated like a really serious following. Like you got a huge amount of people that follow your art day to day. So was there like a, a specific tipping point where it like suddenly became a lot more or was it just kind of like a slow building the entire time? It was, it was like very slow. Um, I started posting two times a day on Instagram in 2012. Mm-hmm. So I've been posting, as you can see, like if you check my Instagram, there's like 5,600 posts or I don't know how many there are, but like around there. And some days I won't post like if I'm sick or out of town, but I usually just post like an old piece or something just to kind of keep it, the things consistent. But, but yeah, like I think it's just like the progression and like, it's like a snowball, you know, in the beginning, it like, it's small and you're posting like little stuff. And then like a couple of people like it and they're like, well, this is kind of cool. And then they like tell their friends like, Hey, that's kind of cool. And then the snowball grows bigger. It's like super like stereotypical analogy, but like, yeah, like over time it just like slowly grows bigger and old followers fall out as like my style evolves over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed like recently I've passed like two, three years, I've done more like typographic type of work and and in the beginning I did a lot of like kind of like collage like janky-ish collage like basically like rudimentary collage style kind of rough you know and and that attracted like a certain type of person and then as it's shit like evolved over time like I still do that kind of work but it's just it's just looks a little bit different now mm-hmm. so like even though it's grown I've lost people along the way and I've gotten new people so yeah, I think it's just like a, a long, slow slog, but there are certain things which got me like little chunks of followers, like art accounts that are really big that repost my stuff or like collaborations that I'll do with brands that'll, that'll like tag me. But then again, when you, when you work with like big brands or like certain things where they, where you get chunks of followers, they're not, it's different. They're like different people than people that find you organically and or they get referred to by a friend because they you're like if you're like hey there's this artist that i think you'll really be into like you trust that person's you trust that person you know to like steer you in the right direction but if it's just like some brand it's just like okay sure i'll follow this person and follow them like a week later yeah and i feel like the people that follow me for the long haul are like people that found me on their own mm-hmm. through like their own like the like they found me because they were looking for something 
like me that I'm making. Like when I'm out there looking for like music, I come across a lot of like really good music, but I'm not like hooked. And then there's bands like obviously like Black Flag where you're just like you're just like hooked like for life, you know, it's like I don't know. I'm not comparing myself to Black Flag, obviously. No, <laughs> but like, level, man, but like it's the no, same idea. I, it's the same idea. And I think like your story, like, I mean, the story of Black Flag is like the story of, of so much like meaningful art and music and creativity, which is like discipline. It's like deep belief in this thing. You don't know what it is. You don't understand your motives when you do it. You just do it. And, and the way I describe it is you, you start a conversation with someone that they didn't even know they wanted to have, but then, then they're suddenly like, yeah, actually, I want to be a part of this conversation. So like people found your art. Sounds like people found their art, your art because they knew they wanted something. They didn't know what it was. And then they came across your art. They're like, yeah, actually, that is what I want. That's the thing. And they've grown mm -hmm. with you. So let me ask you, though, because that's just part of your story. Like you have truly like your story to me is a story of discipline, like in just creative discipline, like being like, I'm going to do this thing. And whether or not I get a ton of support, like people totally follow me. Or if I just do it and I've got like my, my aunt and my uncle like reposting my stuff, I'm going to do it because I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And like that discipline and that creative output, is, it's so inspiring to me. How did you make, though, this leap from making like punk flyers and posting on Instagram to doing like a coach bag? So, okay, so I was living with my, I went to art school, was in art school for a year, insanely expensive, didn't want to be in crippling debt with an art degree. Mm -hmm. I just like thought that was ridiculous. So I dropped out. My wife was in community college at the time she got accepted to ucla for like genetics she's in medical school right now so that's been a long process but um so we sh we now have to move to la i don't have a job i'm dropped out of art school i don't want to work in psychology so i'm like holy crap like i need to make money with this art thing and luckily right before we we moved i got like a little bit of confidence because uh, like a small surf brand in Newport Beach bought one of my designs for a t-shirt and I was like holy crap my first check and this was in like 2013 and that was after posting for like couple like two years like I didn't get any work and then it's like oh crap my first check and then that like was like okay I'm gonna like go crazy and just start like emailing brands and companies and bands like anyone I can think of that uses art for their like business and see if I can like contribute to them somehow and so we moved we used a little bit of savings for like a couple months of rent and then I would like it's literally like I don't know like we it's like it reminds me of like Wayne's World you know like if you build it they will come <laughs> but, you know what I mean like okay we're moving there I need to make this money to pay the rent and I'm gonna do it and like I think it'll happen type yeah. of thing all right, man. So like that crossroads though, uh, we were saying like, Hey, oh, like my, my wife has uh, gotten to school. We had to move. I need to make money off of this. That's actually like the crossroads where a lot of people stop their creative endeavor where they're like, I need to make money at music or art or whatever it is they're doing from a creative space. And instead they go, nah, I just got to go get a job at like, I don't know, wherever like guitar center or footlocker or wherever mm. they work. And then they work their way up through that. Mm. Your story is different. You're like, Oh, okay. Now I got to make it work through art. And I got this boost. I got my first check here, but you were like cold calling people and emailing people. 
How long until that became like self-sustaining? Uh, three, four years. Every day I was emailing, I would go on like, um, like urban outfitters brand page and they have like, I don't know, like 200 brands on there. I would email every single brand on that page, like a PDF of my artwork. Like if it's like a t-shirt brand, I would mock up my art on a t-shirt and be like, Hey, here's some shirts. I think might look cool for like your next, your next like line or whatever. And like do that, do that. And then I would, I'd probably email like 20, 30 brands every single day. And like 95% of them would ignore me or be like, yeah, maybe, maybe next time or, you know, something like that. But then I would like everyone that responded to me, I would save their email with like a little note next to it and be like, okay, they responded. So this is like a maybe. And so like, I would, I would make it a point, like every two weeks, I'd reach back out to that person and be like, Hey, like I got some new work. Maybe you'll look like this better, like instead, or, you know, and so basically <laughs> I like to call it like, I was just like badgering people until they couldn't take it anymore. And then they finally said, okay, fine. Like, if you stop emailing me, I will buy one of your designs. <laughs> that's like, that's like the idea that I had in my head. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and it, I mean, it surprisingly it worked. Cause like, and now that I'm like older and, and I like have been working with brands more, like I know that like I'll get an email and even though I'm interested in it, it'll get buried in my brain. Cause there's so much other shit going on in like my life that even though I think it's really cool, some other thing came up and like, I'm just, it's, there's just too much noise, you know? Mm -hmm. So like constantly pestering and like badgering isn't necessarily looked at by the person that's getting it as annoying as I thought it would be when I was doing it. Cause I know a lot of people are turned off, especially artists. Like, I don't want to be like this self-promoting like cheese ball, you know? And it's like, that's understandable, but there's so much noise and people aren't like able to concentrate on like things unless they see it repeatedly. There's a reason why advertising shows you the same damn commercial like 30 times mm -hmm. in a day, you know, like, so like I kind of used, I don't know, maybe I learned that from psychology. <laughs> maybe well, it's playing I, a role after all. I, I would say like a lot of endeavors, like whether it's psychology or music or art or film or whatever, there's people that are like within group, right? And people within group want to keep everyone outside of that group because they want to, they want to keep the business. And so, so much of it is like, who are the players who are already at the table? What are the relationships they have? And like, just straight up, like crappy art, crappy film, crappy music gets pushed to the forefront, gets hyped. And it keeps, I feel like, and that's also in the business world. And I think it keeps fresh ideas, like interesting people, like creative, like really strong creative people outside and that it can be soul crushing. And mm -hmm. seeing someone who just, I'd say like, you're undeniable, man. You just made yourself undeniable and you continued, you pushed through and that kind of trope, like, Oh, you're like a cheesy self-promoting. It's like, yeah, but anyone can point out the faults in a process. Very few people can push past the horizon. The people that do that, they got, they, they usually get some kind of like, Oh, you're a cornball. You're this or that. Like, and, and I yeah. got to say. I actually kind of feel when you start getting that, you're onto something because it's like, yeah, well, of course, of course, because now what I'm doing is like getting enough uh, momentum that it's being critiqued. But to and you that, specific, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I didn't. What were you going to say? Well, like, man, you've worked with like Facebook, Nike, Starbucks, Chanel, like, you know, like I said earlier, like coach, that's really big, big stuff. And it sounds like so much of it was just like persistence, discipline, pushing through. 
what would you say to people who are coming up from, from really any endeavor who are just starting to feel like, God, I don't know how I get past this noise. What would you say? Everything looks insurmountable from the beginning, like no matter what it is. Even in the beginning, I was like, okay, how the heck do I get from like here all the way to like making enough money to like support myself and my wife and like potentially like kids, you know, like it's just like, I got a $250 check for this t-shirt design and I'm like stoked over it. Like, cool. That'll pay like 10% of this month's rent. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, when you do the math, you're like, this is ridiculous. This isn't going to work. But then like literally it doesn't work like that. It's like a slow progress, a slow progression over time that builds up and at a certain point it becomes sustainable and everything over that is extra. Mm-hmm. Like I remember my goal in the beginning was if I can pay my rent and feed myself, I'm, I'm successful. That was like my, yeah. like my wife is like brilliant. And she was like, okay, you need to determine what does success look like to you? Like, is it driving a Ferrari? And I like, was like, no. And she's like, is it, paying the rent or like basically the bare minimum to survive. And I was like, I mean, yeah. I mean, if I can not have to have like a day job and basically pay my bills, be able to feed myself and be able to work from home with just my art, that's what I label as success for me. That's I'm like a successful artist in that, in that definition. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically what I strove for. That was like my benchmark. So basically all those years it took me, to like some some months, obviously I went over that. Some months I went way under, didn't make any money, but like it balances out over time. Mm-hmm. And like, that was my goal. And now I've surpassed that. And I'm kind of like still keeping up. I'm, a, I'm slowing down a little bit, like with my take my art, take my art, like idea, but like I'm still making new art every day, which I think is at the core of like my world. Yeah, yeah, again, that, that real, um... That discipline is like, again, I keep hearing it over. And I, of course, I'm thinking of Henry Rollins simply because you mentioned mentioned the book up front. But it's like that. I, I think so much of like real DIY stuff is just absolute, complete discipline, complete faith in what you're doing. And I did want to ask, what role has doubt played in uh, in your story? It's funny. Like you, it actually happened the opposite of what it should in my opinion in the beginning i didn't have that much doubt like i i like had a goal and like i described before like with how my like how my personality is like if i know i need to get to something like i'll just literally put like goggles and headphones on and just get on a train track and go there mm-hmm. and like so like i didn't really think too much or like second guess myself too much i just know i had an objective and i had to like get to it but like now that things like i don't really like it's a little bit more ambiguous at this point in my life, because I, I'm able to support myself. There's nothing like you have to do this to survive. It's a little bit more laxed at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm doubt is starting to creep in a little bit. Like, am, is the work I'm making still like aligned with like what my philosophies are? Like I'm, I'm basically like very like introspective and existential at this point in my career. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that means that I'm going to shift into something else who knows but yeah i feel like doubt kind of happened in reverse because i feel like in the beginning a lot of people are like there's a lot of doubt in the beginning and then once you kind of gain traction then the doubt disappears because you're like um this is who i am and i made it and who cares like type of thing 
but I did doubt in the beginning, obviously, because it was scary and like I needed to make money. There was always that, but like, as far as like, will, I don't know. I feel like there was less doubt then than there is now. Yeah, and uh, I I actually think that's a healthy thing, man. You had that unrelenting vision. You were like, no, I'm going to do this. But <laughs> now, but now that you've done it, you want to make sure you're doing it in in the way that's the truest it can be to you today and you want to always be like growing and striving in in doing that i think it's good to hold up a mirror i don't know if that's doubt or just kind of like trying to stay true to yourself yeah yeah because i i get on these train tracks and i do i kind of like yeah for a while and sometimes i need to just like get off the train and like take a look around and be like okay where do i go from here instead of just keep you know what i mean so i think that's just like how i work i guess but I feel like a lot of it in the beginning too was like I dropped out of art school and it's like, okay, I was disillusioned by that experience and I don't like, I want to prove to myself and to my family and to my peers that like I can do this without art school and like, and like, I don't need like a degree or like an in from like a hookup or like anything like that. I'm going to just like try and do it without like, a degree basically or like i kind of looked at it like a willy wonka pass or something like a golden yeah, ticket or something you know totally. and uh, so i had like almost like i'm gonna show them yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I, I feel like that motivation was like really really um positive for me and like it, it gave me like a lot of energy and it's, it's right. sort of fizzled out because i, I feel like I've, I've shown them <laughs> but yeah so now now my motives are have shifted Right on, man. Okay, so as we're closing off, I got two two questions for you. Uh, the first was a fun one. What are your three go-to Southern California punk bands? Adolescence, TSOL, and... Um, probably Black Flag. I was thinking Orange County at first, but then Black Flag's at, like, LA, so... Yeah. All right, Black good, Black, good. TSOL, Adolescence. Patrick is across the computer for me, nodding his head very vigorously. So well done. <laughs> we passed the Patrick test. All right. Uh, last question for you. Is there anything, uh, any parting thoughts you want to share with people? And it could be business people. It could be people from like the punk scene, the music scene, from the art scene. Anything you want to leave with the audience about like, you know, just how they can move through their world as they're, as they're building up their careers? Yeah. I feel like no matter what you're doing, whether it's like art or music or whatever creative field, even in non-creative fields, like if you can make something like that's the most unique to yourself and the truest to yourself, then I feel like it'll stand out. Like I made a, I made a piece like a couple like a year or two ago that was like, there's nothing worse than being a watered down version of someone else. Mm-hmm. And like, like when I first started, I would, I would look up to like the artists, like Baldessari or like, April Griven, like Barbara Kruger, like were some of my favorite artists growing up and I would like copy their work. But then at a point it's like, okay, like I need to like shift this, you know, like I need to kind of like make it mine. And, and I feel like doing that and like making your work as true as you possibly can to yourself is going to stand you apart from like all of the noise and like the crowd, because if you're just looking at someone else being trying to do like what they're doing, why would you get looked at over the person that's like a truer form of what you're trying to copy? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of makes... like the, that's the idea that I was trying to take when, whenever like I make my art, which is why I try and post everything that I make. Like I don't really 
make a bunch and then scrap the bad ones. Like I'll make, I'll make a, I'll post something and it'll get like 10,000 likes and then I'll post something the next day and it'll get like 200 likes. And it's like, who cares? Like some of them, they're not all winners, (laughs) you know? And even though they get less likes doesn't mean that they're not a winner. Like it's just, it's just different. I don't know. Yeah. Well, listen, man, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm uh, first, I just feel like what you shared with me, like, it's just so, I don't know. There's just something so like real about it from like, this is the punk experience. But I also feel it's like, this is like the, the human experience. Like you got to believe in yourself. You got to be undeniable. And the, the person you got to be undeniable first is to yourself. Like you can't deny yourself. You can't deny who you are, what you're about. You can't deny your vision. And hearing you follow it with just such discipline and such intensity, it, it like really lifts me up. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks. It means a lot that you thought of me for this. And it was a pleasure talking. I'm not too, I don't really do many of these. So it was kind of cool to do it because it was like uh, punk focused and it was super cool. Awesome, <laughs> All right, everyone. So we will see you in the outro. And Dave, drop the beat. Thanks, Tyler, for that incredible conversation. Uh, You know, the more people that I interview from the punk and hardcore scene, the more I realize that so much of what we learn in this community can really be put to pushing you through life in this really incredible way. And Tyler's just another amazing example of that. But really, like, the thing that stood out for me for Tyler is that something to prove. You know, like... I like when he, like, you didn't see it because you don't see the video, but he's like kind of shaking his fist, like, oh, I've got something to prove. But I love that idea. Like, no, like, I'm going to do this and I don't need a degree and I don't need to follow the traditional path and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it to you, but I'm also going to prove it to myself. It's just so powerful. Um, And I encourage anyone here, it's like, listen, if you've got something you want to do, you start with the mindset that I will do it and you figure out the rest later. I'm a big believer in leap first and then figure out where and how you're going to land later. So if you're right on the precipice and you want to do something, but you've been getting all of that kind of negative feedback, like you need to have the degrees or you need to do this or you need to do that. My advice is to go for it. You might not land exactly where you want to land. You might not land exactly how you want to land, but you will land. And what you'll find out about yourself and what the real opportunity, it's probably going to be pretty awesome. So as we're wrapping up, I want to remind everyone that we're produced by Patrick McKechnie, edited by Dave Larson, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. As always, you know, we have such an incredible team. I want to thank all of them and just know that every time that we do any of these podcasts, it's not just me and the guest. It's a whole team of people behind us that are doing a lot of great work. So thanks, everyone. So with that, we're going to sign off and I'll see you next time on One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.